You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Football. It's Cousins keeping it and running it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Adam Thielen is just special. Cousins waiting, throwing to the end zone to Thielen. Touchdown. Cousins gets time and then he's hit. And the pass, a diving effort by Thielen is complete. And to to think, Matthew Collar, those highlights could have been Robbie Anderson on the other side of Kirk Cousins' passes had had the offseason played out differently. Do not shortchange Robbie Anderson. He's very good. Yeah, I'd say he's the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL. He's very good. When you watch him, as far as a guy going deep down the field, he is one of the biggest deep threats in the NFL. And I would be concerned if you're the Vikings, considering how many big plays that they've given up this year. And against Arizona, still they got beat on a couple. And Larry Fitzgerald was a few inches away from making another big-time catch in that game that Robbie Anderson is a threat and Sam Darnold can make the throws. He has not been consistent, but when he makes throws, holy cow, does he make throws. Yeah. Can we put a ban on one thing, though? I'm holding the New York Post column. Mark Cannizzaro wrote, How sweet will it be for the Jets to shut up classless Kirk Cousins? Can we put a ban on in this business on if a guy shuns your team because, well, he wanted to go somewhere else that I'm going to write the column that's going to say he's class. It's so, it is so cliche at this point to write, well, he picked Minnesota. How could you pick the Mall of America over our... Uh, yeah, okay, New York's great. I get it. It is great. Why is he classless? Because, because he allowed an NFL.com to do that documentary on him in which he very wisely... Allowed the Jets to come in with the with the highest offer, and then they went to the the Vikings and said up the offer, which the Vikings did. So he's classless for having played the Jets. Okay, I actually think though this column was ridiculous that there is a beef there. I think a legitimate beef. Okay, to show Kirk Cousins playing the New York Jets, and I know that it's all just sort of standard. This is how it works. Try to work a couple teams against each other, but that did make them kind of look like chumps like that he had just used them to keep pushing up the price from other teams, including Minnesota, that probably didn't have to be included in that documentary, but they left it in there, and it's it's the league doing it. So if he had said, I don't want that in there that shows the Jets looking like chumps, then they would have taken it out, I'm sure, but it was left in there. And then his explanation for it was so poor yesterday. It, 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 it was just... Well, it was meant to show how much we love the Minnesota Vikings. Like, okay, well, then why is that scene in there that makes the Jets look so bad? So I think from from this, calling him classless is a little much, and the rest of it is ridiculous. It says something about it being cold when it's going to be 52 and the guy went to Michigan State. It's not cold for him or any of us. Even in New York, that's not cold. No, it's not. It's In it's California, like, it's 52 yeah. degrees at, at different points this time of year. But. So it was a ridiculous article, and the headline is ridiculous, as you would expect from the New York media that someone was going to do it. I do think, though, 
and all's well that ends well with this situation. They got their guy, the Vikings got their guy, everybody's happy. But if there was one thing where you could sympathize with some Jets fans or media or the New York Jets organization, you would say it's probably the inclusion of that scene. So, okay, so I haven't seen this scene, and there's probably people listening who haven't seen this scene in the, it's a multi-part Kirk Cousins docuseries. NFL.com, I think, has all the parts still. Yep. So, can you explain, to, to for those of us who haven't seen it, because in my mind, the Jets don't need a whole lot of help looking like an idiot clown franchise. That's pretty much what they've been since Joe Namath retired. Yes. But, so, was it that Kirk Cousins and his camp made it very clear in the documentary we aren't going to play in New York, but we need their highest offer to get more money from the Vikings. Is that is that pretty much? Yes, and it's here in the column. It's uh, there's the scene is Cousins tells his wife the Jets came in with thirty million fully guaranteed, and then he goes on to say, "So now we have what we wanted." That his agent has to do the same thing with the Vikings. He sent them a number that's competitive with the Jets' offer. The fact we have the Jets' offer is huge, and now it gives other teams a reason to come up. So it's very clear. He also did not visit with the New York Jets, but he came to visit with the Vikings. It's very clear well, he what he did. couldn't yet then. He couldn't. Oh, that's right. That, yeah, that's that was it. during the but he legal tampering. But, but, but he never did. That entire thing played out previous to that on this show. Mackie and I went through the entire thing. We actually nailed the numbers. We're not we, right we about fought, everything or most fought, things, but we we fought about what the money would would have to be for him to go to the Jets. Because I said to Phil, at some point in time, it might be too much, and, and you can't leave multiple millions and millions out there and and with good conscience not take it. And so Phil and I fought through that, but in the end, we totally called so it. So here here's here's the question. We just to bring it back for fun and just to get your thoughts on it again. All right. If the Jets are one of the three worst franchises in football, or five worst franchises, because the Browns up until now, the Browns have a good roster now, but if that team offers you $30 million, what's the lowest amount of money you would take to play somewhere else? Like, if if the if team number two offered $18 million, would you take the extra twelve a year and go play for the team that you don't want to play for? Because in my mind, it's all monopoly money once you get past about a million, right? Yeah, so. that's true. But there's moving parts to it, too. I mean, the taxes in New York are not going to be the same. The cost of living in New York is not going to be the same. Not that <laughs> you can't afford whatever mansion you want when you get that. But still, I mean, <laughs> right. if you're if you're just going over every single factor. And then the biggest thing is not which franchise is a clown show or not. Historically, unless you're the Browns or the Buffalo Bills, you're usually up and down, right? I mean, it wasn't too long ago that the Jets would have been like, oh, look at this model franchise who's winning with defense and Rex Ryan, we love his attitude. And then all of a sudden, you know, they don't play well and and you're a joke for a while and they'll be back up with Sam Darnold. It usually depends on your quarterback. They'll be back up. They've got tons of cap room. They're going to get players. They're going to be good. I think that the New York Jets will ultimately be a good team. And that's why this worked out really well for them. And it worked out for Kirk Cousins too. It, he ends up on the team that he can win the Super Bowl with. He's 30 years old. He's not 21. Like He doesn't want to grow with a team. He wants to show up and have two wide receivers catch every darn thing that he wings out there, which is exactly what's happened. So the Jets have the right guy on their timeline. The Vikings have the right guy on their timeline. Everyone should be thrilled with how this worked out. The Jets, like, yeah, this guy can write a column and call Kirk whatever he wants, but ultimately they're better off having a 21-year-old quarterback who could be a superstar to build around. And if you look at the Eagles and you look at the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles Rams, who are having a lot of success now, the thing in common is that they built a lot of their winning 
with rookie quarterback contract. And if I were the Jets, Absol- yes. I now the big question is: Would you rather be the Jets or the Vikings? Would you rather have it all in on this situation right now, or would you rather be able to spend as much money as you want and have a quarterback that? has the potential to be one of the top five or six quarterbacks in the league. I, I think the Vikings did the exact right thing for where they're at right now. Yeah, I would take the Vikings situation right now, too, but I'm not dismissing the the what you just said. Because the Vikings had that with Bridgewater. If Bridgewater hadn't snapped his leg in half, they, we were all looking at that saying, man, they are they won 11 games, and they don't have to worry about paying this guy $20 million for like three more years. Mm-hmm. So that was a good situation, too. Yeah, cause, because with... With where the Vikings are at right now, I think you've got, what, about three years or so to, to take some shots here. So if you were to, and I I like where the Jets are, and I, I think it's smart and good for them, but if you're going to go from Keenum to a quarterback, and I'm this team, I'm definitely going to go for a quarterback that I said, or that I say in 2018 can get me to a Super Bowl and potentially w- win that. Because if I get a young quarterback now in place, and he struggles. Yes, the offensive line, I might be able to spend more on that, but now I've got a guy who's struggling, and I have doubts about that. So the question is entirely whether you think this team right now at this moment is a Super Bowl contender, and that's I'm not sure about that. I mean, I, I think that anybody can win the Super Bowl if you get into the playoffs, that we've seen that from 9-7 and seven teams or teams that didn't win their division, but usually, especially recently, it's been the teams that get that first, first round bye, Philadelphia Eagles have, have done that, and New England did that year before. Teams that get the first round by, they tend to end up ultimately winning the Super Bowl unless something goes weird. And with this team, it's just not as strong as the, the one that even Kirk Cousins was analyzing. When he talked about on Wednesday looking over rosters and studying coaching staffs and all those things, and if you look up and down this roster and you compare it to last year, it's just not as strong. It's got a little more depth on defense, but it doesn't have Everson Griffin. And I don't know when he's coming back, if he's ever coming back. And Delvin Cook still isn't playing. He didn't practice today after practicing yesterday. So it's still no Delvin Cook, but you don't have Jarek McKinnon to spell him. You don't have as strong of an offensive line as who, you had last who year. Scares, who scares you guys in, in this conference right now? Who do you look at and say, I don't think the Vikings stack up? I think it's, it's too early to say that because the, what, what you see right now is so much different than what you're going to see in right. two months. The Rams are the obvious answer right now, but that stuff changes over the course of November and December. I think that it's two teams are far and away from everybody else in the NFC. Because I don't think it's going to change going forward. And this doesn't matter what happens in two weeks. I'm still going to feel this way. I think New Orleans and the Los Angeles Rams are head and shoulders away from everybody else. And then the Vikings are somewhere in this mix of, like, are they better or worse than the Detroit Lions? We'll find out. Are they better and worse than the Packers? We'll find out. Right? I mean, so the Packers get this win the other night against San Francisco. And, of course, the the miserable Viking fan says, "Ah, you beat the 49ers. They're not even good. Well, you didn't exactly decisively destroy the Arizona Cardinals either, and you lost to the Buffalo Bills. So all these teams have their warts. Aside from those two, Drew Brees playing some of the best football of his career, the Rams, Jared Goff coming into his own, genius head coach, amazing running game, I mean, great defense. They have everything. They're the most complete team. Other than that, we're still sort of jockeying and figuring out what they really have. So when you talk about like comparing the roster that Cousins was joining and the situation – it isn't quite as good as it was because last year they were decidedly a great team 
And this year, it's like, okay, well, I think that they are, but they're still having to prove it. That's the, the reason you sign Cousins is actually just to make up the difference. See, yes. So I, their roster is better because of Kirk Cousins. So yeah. that so step up. And I think you're waiting for you're waiting for these other pieces. If 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 at the end of the year, I don't need them to be the number one defense in rank. It doesn't that doesn't matter. But if at the end of the year, Everson Griffin has figured out his personal life and he's gotten things straightened out. And he's back on December eighth or whatever, and uh, they've suffered no other catastrophic injuries. Yep. And the and the and the and the running game is something more than what has happened so far in the first five games. Then my answer is yeah, they can win the Super Bowl. If they can I, win the Super Bowl with that defense and with this passing game. If I get the Rams in one playoff game, can I come up with a scheme to beat them? And I think these guys, at least the the answer is. Potentially, yes. And for every time we, we would say, no, 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 that's not true. Keep in mind what the Eagles did to the Vikings in the NFC title game was shocking. But yeah, they came up with yeah. a great scheme mm-hmm. for that one game because they're incredibly well coached. I don't know if this version can beat the Rams. I know that last year's could because I watched it. But guess who two of the biggest players in that game were? Terrence Newman, for one, who was out there calling plays by himself. You yep. could see it on tape where he's going over, calling things and pointing things out, being a coach on the field. And Everson Griffin went up against Andrew Whitworth in a, if you love football, then you would love to watch every play of that <laughs> game with those two because those are two of the best. So now everything changes. Like, Daniil Hunter is fantastic and, and a, a marvel of the human race. Like, when you just look at his freakishness. But now teams can focus on just one great pass rusher. And when it's Everson in there, everyone knows how talented he is. Everyone knows what a monster he is. And they have to dedicate help to Everson Griffin. Now they don't. I mean, Weatherly's done a really nice job. But they don't have to dedicate help. They can dedicate help to just one guy. And it sort of changes the whole dynamic. And it will be interesting to see as we go along. Because you mentioned they won't be ranked number one because of how bad some of the early games went. But it matters more on the defense how you finish than how you start, right? So that's what we're going to be watching for over the next few weeks. How do they perform against another rookie quarterback? Do they maul him too? How do they perform against Drew Brees coming in here? Then I think we'll have a better picture of what we can expect from this defense in the second half. Yeah, Matthew Collar, find him on 1590ESPN.com, Purple Podcast. We're going to catch up with Tom Pelissero next, an inside look going back to the free agency period at uh, the Vikings' pursuit and the Jets' pursuit of Kirk Cousins, Judd. But first time to talk to me. All right, welcome back to the football hour. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios and Tom Pelissero from NFL Network about to head to uh, Philadelphia, Tom Pelissero, where the Vikings put them on the ropes and now they have to figure out what's going to happen the rest of the season. So uh, what are you uh, expecting to find out in Philadelphia? Well, it's another interesting matchup for the Eagles. I think that the, the number one thing is just how they continue to progress with Carson Wentz. You know, you got to remember the guy's, what, 10 months, nine months removed from a, you know, an ACL tear. It's a significant type of a surgery to, to come back from. And, you know, as much as he, you know, mentally has shown, he's got no fear in terms of extending plays, backing out of the pocket, you know, extending plays like he does so well. Um, you know, it takes a little bit of time to, redevelop that rhythm with your receivers. Alshon Jeffrey just some time. You know, I was trying to see them getting a little bit of rhythm. There's no question the Eagles defense has, has been awfully good 
uh, over the course of the season. And in talking to some of the Panthers players yesterday, they know, you know, they're coming off a game in Washington where they couldn't run the football particularly well. Uh, you know, trying to get that going on the road in Philly against that front is not going to be easy. Of course, they've been down in a couple of tackles, including left tackle Matt Khalil, very familiar to uh, Minnesota fans. I think this, this game is a perfect example of how outside of the unbeaten Rams, you really get a lot of pretty talented teams in the NFC that all have a couple of losses, and these types of interdivisional or interdivisional matchups uh, sort a few things out when you're talking about getting toward playoff CD and everything else in January. Hey, Tom, uh, since you brought up Carolina, what have you seen or, or what has uh, has Norv Turner done in his time away offensively to, to show that he could uh, perhaps adapt a little bit more to the uh, modern game than he might have with the Vikings a couple of years ago before he abruptly either walked out or was fired or who knows what happened. Or punched his, whatever. Yeah. Who knows? How much has Norv changed his uh, potential ways uh, with Cam as his quarterback? I mean, it sounds like, you know, from everything I've been able to gather, Norv is Norv, you know, in terms of his personality. Um, you know, he's always had a little bit of a, a charming aspect to him. Uh, I think that schematically, I mean, if you ask Norv, you have had this conversation with him before, you know, when you bring up the Air Coriel offense and, you know, how his schemes are derivative, he'll always say, you know, there are things from his playbook that he was running with Troy Aikman in 1991, they're still translated to today, but he's kind of gathered things from um, different people, uh, different schemes along the way. You have to do a little bit of that uh, with Cam Newton. I, I think that as much as anything, sometimes having a fresh set of eyes. You know, Mike Shula had been the coordinator there for quite a while and had had some really good years to help the Packers get to a Super Bowl. Um, but just, uh, you know, it, it seems like everybody there is a little bit rebooted. Outside of last week, they've had more success uh, in running for the football, which is a big thing. Uh, Newton, in terms of throwing the ball downfield, that's still one of the big question marks. We always know that you know he does have a big arm. He is another guy who extends plays to push it down the field. And so far, uh, that hasn't really been there. Uh, so that's something that they've got, got to get going here. Uh, Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, with us here, Mackie and Judd. So Vikings and Jets, and I've already seen stories written about, okay, how, how close did the Jets come to landing Kirk Cousins and um, from, from everything we have heard, and I'd love your insight into this from a reporter standpoint, Kirk Cousins wasn't able to legally visit the Vikings and Rick Spielman during Super Bowl week, but he did a bunch of driving around the Twin Cities, and it seems like just if you piece everything together that it was a foregone conclusion from Super Bowl week that he was going to be a Viking. But what do you remember about just sort of the inner workings of that decision for him and, and, and the pursuit of the Vikings and other teams? Well, uh, let's start with this. It was not uh, a foregone conclusion of Super Bowl week, although certainly the rumors began to pick up. Because remember, Super Bowl week was also when Alex Smith got traded to Washington. So whatever you know, tiny percentile chance you thought of Kirk Cousins going back to the Redskins was basically eliminated. And so Cousins knew at that point that, hey, I'm doing promotional stuff for Super Bowl week. I better drive around and get the lay of the land and see if this is a place that that I want to be. Now, it was not going to be strictly a money decision. If it had been a money decision, Kirk Cousins is a New York Jet. Sam Darnold is, I don't know where at this point. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of different things are, you know, who are the breaking that? Are they going along with, you know, Case Keenan still and paying him a little bit less? Those are all kind of hypotheticals. But Cousins was always their number one target. That was their plan, you know, plan A. Uh, Keenum was a clear plan B. Teddy Bridgewater was never really going to be, um, you know, at the forefront. They did, they just didn't think that, based on him as much time as he had missed, that he was going to be. They they could count on him and say, all right, this is our guy. 
and now we'll set the backup plan. No, Teddy, if he was coming back, would have been coming back alongside another quarterback. And for Bridgewater, that didn't make a lot of sense. He wanted to go somewhere he had an opportunity, which at the time he thought was the Jets. Then they draft Darnold. He gets traded to New Orleans, and all that plays out. But really there were four teams that were in on Kirk Cousins. There was the Jets, there was the Vikings, there was the Cardinals, and there was the Broncos. The Broncos were really the first team out because they realized they couldn't give Cousins either of the two things. They couldn't give him the most money, and they couldn't give him the team that was the most now. So they kind of back slowly away. They signed Case Keenum for, I think it was $17 million a year. The Cardinals actually had a very similar offer to the Vikings on the they also had three years, $84 million, was my understanding. But the last year of it was not fully guaranteed. It was some kind of a rolling guarantee. So in terms of that, and Cousins' desire to be the first fully guaranteed quarterback, that put them just a little bit step below the Vikings. Uh, and then the Jets offered him three years, $90 million, fully guaranteed. I mean, that was the biggest deal. I, I know I've heard in the past that perhaps they would have even gone beyond that. But Cousins, Agent Mike McCartney, made very clear, listen, this is all going to happen fast. Kirk's going to make a decision. You know, he may take some visits, but really, you know, the first visit he takes may be the one that he uh, that he goes with. So, give me your best offer. You know, this is this is like a car dealership, right? There's some places that say we're not going to negotiate. We just said this is the sticker price. This is what it is. That, that's kind of what they did. They just said, give us the best offer. You know, we're not going to say, okay, we're coming back to you. No, just give us the best offer. We're going to evaluate all of them. A little bit of that in the uh, documentary that Kirk Cousins had filmed, uh, co-starring me for some reason, uh, where you see that it's just very much, okay, here's all the offers laid out. The Jets swap is the most funny, but the Vikings have the team that is the most ready to win right now. And so, you know, for a variety of different reasons, Cousins thought that was where he was best set up to succeed. And so he left $6 million on the table with the belief that $84 million is pretty good, and this can be a leapfrog for him in his next deal, too. You know, and beyond to kind of set a, a legacy, make his money, and also uh, hopefully go out with a lot of games. So, Tom, if you're the Jets, in hindsight now, are you disappointed that you didn't get him, or are you actually pleased because you got a good young QB who you can build around for years to come? And just as importantly, you've got a salary cap space now for years to work with. So I would take it if you're the Jets, you're not completely disappointed that Kirk Cousins chose the Vikings over the Jets. Well, and that's sort of the, the big thing there is you do have that additional flexibility. But we still, you know, we're, what, six games into the Sam Darnold era? I mean, it's tough. You look at all these quarterbacks. Darnold came out, you know, was flinging it around on national TV in week one, chewing up the Lions, and then had a few rough games. You know, Baker Mayfield comes out. He has a really good couple of games. And then last week plays what Mayfield called, you know, the worst game of his life, I believe. Um, you know, you always ride that roller coaster a little bit with young quarterbacks. So, hey, I'm not ready to say that, you know, they think that they've got your bullet or something. I mean, they want it. For Cousins, they were not pleased that they did not get him. They had the most money on the table. Um, and they thought, you know, perhaps even that he would take two visits and eventually get out to him until it became apparent that the first visit was going to be the Vikings. And that was, um, you know, kind of all she wrote. Uh, if Sam Darnold works out, absolutely. I mean, he's younger. You know, Darnold is, I think, what, 20 or 21. If he's really young, Cousins is 30. Not that that doesn't mean that he uh, doesn't have a lot of good years left, 29, 30, whatever Kirk is. Um, you know, you're hoping that, yeah, there's there's a huge upside with Sam Darnold, but you've got a much better track record on the, at this point on Kirk Cousins. You know what you're buying. And, uh, you know, so far the returns the Vikings have seen have been awfully good. Tom, how do the Jets feel about Todd Bowles right now? I mean, they're they're three and three right now, and I think his job speculation on his job has been 
kind of out there for you know even dating back to last year. But what what's his status and how are they feeling about him? Is is he is he on a hot seat right now or is that kind of out, overblown right now? You know, they did extend him and the general manager Mike McCagnan. Um, that you know showed that they were willing to see this through. They felt like personnel wise, they kind of really had to reboot after the John Itzik era. Uh, turn some things over. It's been a mixed bag for them. Uh, certainly, they've gotten some really good players uh, in New York uh, under this regime. But you know, these games, like the one on Sunday against the Vikings, these are the ones Todd Bowles needs to win. It can't just be, hey, you show up against you know the Dolphins and and whoever else, you know, and, and win those types of games. No, you need some of those, you know, the Lions. You need the signature wins over the teams that are contenders. You know, are you ready to take that leap? You know, at some point, if you decide that there's a ceiling on your coaching staff, that's generally when owners decide uh, that they can make a change. Now, Todd Bowles is a really likable guy. You know, he's personable. Uh, he is experienced. He's somebody who's groomed under Bruce Arians. A different personality than Bruce, for sure, but somebody that puts respect. He does have some fire that doesn't always come out publicly, but, you know, guys tell stories about him. You know, there was one story when he was in Arizona about him being so mad at halftime, he punched a whiteboard, broke it in half in Washington. You know, you hear things like that. You get a little different uh, Todd Bowles behind the scenes. His mild manner to he um, may appear to be in public. But, yeah, I mean, you need to win these games. There's, there's no doubt about it. You're playing in an AFC East that the Patriots win every single year. Everybody's wondering, all right, who's going to rise to the forefront? Now you've got a quarterback you hope in Sam Darnold. Uh, you've got to find a way to, you know, rise to the occasion here, and we'll, uh, we'll see what they've got in store for them on Sunday. Tom, how would you characterize the status and the and the the current standing of Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy's relationship? You know, I, I brought that up to Mike uh, last week, and it's fair to say that everybody involved is kind of sick of answering those questions. I think that you know they've always had a, you know a, a sort of a relationship where uh, there's going to be friction, but that's also part of what they. You know, they kind of think makes them good. You know, they work together for a long time. You can see them interacting on the sideline. Now, I asked Mike uh, last week, just kind of like, what is, you know, there's this, there's this feeling that people have when Aaron says anything publicly about, you know, we need to get the ball to Devontae Adams more, or we need to, you know, hey, I just run the place to call, that type of thing. That Aaron is like, shut out. They just hand him the game plan and go, here you go. And he runs over the coaches want. There's, as McCarthy told me, like, there's a lot of one on one time that Mike spends with Aaron, that Aaron spends with other coaches. Uh, he does have, as, as McCarthy told me, you know, he is as involved as he wants to be and as he needs to be. Now he's got a lot of other things on his plate, you know, including rehabbing that knee right now. And you have to, as coaches, set a game plan for the entire offense, figure out how all your pieces uh, fit together. Uh, certainly, you know, they've had some challenges uh, through the first part of this year. It's never as bad as it Teams, uh, at times publicly, or as some uh, media members want to write it publicly. I mean, these guys have won a lot of games together. McCarthy played a pivotal role in uh, you know Rogers' development, going back to when he got there in 2006, and the way that he taught him through his quarterback school and everything else. Uh, you know, winning tends to, to cure a lot of things, and the the supposed uh, relationship course those two have would certainly fall into that category. Six games in, uh, Tom. How good do you think the Packers are? It's a tough question. Um, you know, I was there on Monday night, and the 49ers, I mean, give those guys credit. They they took the Packers to the limit in that game. Uh, it seems as if, you know, the defensively they've got more pieces, but they've kind of had to shuffle some pieces around because they have had some injuries 
you know, Jair Alexander sat out the other night. Uh, they've had to mix and match some spots. So they're still figuring things out there. Offensively, they don't feel like they are that far away from being really good. And you got to remember, no Randall Cobb, no Geronimo Allison. So everybody's focusing on Devontae Adams and, and Jimmy Graham. I actually asked McCarthy about Graham, and he just said, what people don't understand is you look at the Detroit game, he's getting doubled constantly. I mean, he's taking a ton of attention away from the defense. Well, when you don't have some of those other core parts, um, you know, it, it makes things a little bit more difficult. But absent those couple of fumbles that Rodgers had in Detroit to really turn the game, and then, of course, all the Mason Crosby uh, missed field goals, you know, they, they've been really productive offensively over the past couple of weeks. Had a lull in the middle of the game against the 49ers, but when they needed it, they came back and then roared up and down the field. There's certainly, I mean, you see it. Rodgers is not 100%. Uh, he may well not be 100% the entire season. He's always going to be maintaining that knee, at least to some degree, but he's still doing things that virtually no other quarterback in the NFL can do. So, you know, how good are they? We'll see how, how that all comes together over the next couple of months. But are they dangerous every week? Absolutely. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network. Hey, where can people find you on TV this weekend? Where and when? I will be uh, I'll be in Philadelphia tomorrow, so live from uh, Eagles. Saturday, I'll be out at NFL Films, live in studio on Good Morning Football Weekend. And then Sunday morning, just got the note, uh, 6.12 a.m. Central will be my first hit live from the field, uh, only on NFL Network. Uh, awesome. All right, Tom. It's far too early, Tom. Far too early for football. Oh, I've, I've seen Tom answer some early bells before. Yeah, we'll leave those for another show. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Boomtown. Good practice. All right. Bye, See Tom. Mackie and Judd, it's the football hour. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check on your traffic real quick. It's brought to you by the Better Business Bureau. Uh, Highway 36 eastbound in Lauderdale. We still have that crash. That's slowing things down, slowing things down just a little bit between 35W and Snelling Avenue South. So uh, prepare for that. Also, 62 eastbound in Edina. Uh, we still have that crash. 19-minute delay. Uh, that's between Tracy Avenue and Highway 100 in Edina. Join Better Business Bureau at the Torch Awards for Ethics. BBB's Torch Award embodies Better Business Bureau's mission of advancing trust in the marketplace. 14 businesses will be honored at U.S. Bank Stadium October 24th. Purchase tickets at bbb.org slash Minnesota. Hey, and before you beat traffic, real quick here, first caller to answer this wild trivia question correct, and if Declan wants to, whatever, Manny's got to buzz out of here, but um, first caller to get this correct goes to the wild game on Saturday at the Excel Energy Center, all right? Which wild goalie in franchise history has the most saves which wild goalie has the most saves? 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Shouldn't be too tough. TCL Broadcast Studios, Matthew Collar, answer me this question. Delvin Cook. We talked about this on the podcast on Sunday. And I flat out ask you a question which you said is very difficult to answer right now, and I get that. But my question was, do we need to be concerned about the fact that he is injury prone by this point? You brought this up two segments ago. Delvin Cook practiced in full two days ago, mm-hmm. and today did not practice. This And, and this isn't just an okay player. I, I'm still convinced that if he's healthy, mm-hmm. he can be an absolute essential part of this offense. 
What are we to make of this hamstring thing, which to me is now threatening to ruin a second consecutive season for this guy? If you were to ask me before the season, who's going to be the centerpiece of the offense? I I would have said Delvin Cook because everything starts there, not just in the running game, but the fact that he can line up everywhere. This, When you lose him, you lose a running back and a wide receiver. You look at what he did against the Packers, 24 yards on a slant route. They got the look they wanted, a linebacker on off coverage against him, and it was like taking candy. Just That's not something that very many running backs can do. Maybe there are more than there used to be, but that is a pretty rare skill. And to take him out, Latavius Murray is a talented player and can handle his business, but he's not Delvin Cook and he's nowhere close. And so when you talk about the injury-prone thing, it's very hard to know whether he's injury-prone or not because he's so young in his career. And this could just be kind of a random thing or a thing that came across when a guy just didn't have training camp as the same way as you normally would. You see this all the time. Somebody sits out of training camp, and the first thing that happens, they pop a hamstring. Remember that happened with Darrell Revis, where he sat out for a long time, and then he gets a hamstring injury. So these these things do happen, and that's not something that is like, oh, no, you're going to always get hamstring injuries. I mean, it's really hard to say. The other thing's an ACL. Well, that happens to like yeah. half the league at some point. They, these running backs will tear their ACL. So I would not be ready to call him injury-prone, but I would be ready to say if you don't have him for the rest of the year, that really limits your offense unless you're facing the Arizona Cardinals every week. Yeah. So, what's the is the solution just to if, I guess it, and this is not this is not professional medical advice I'm about to dish out, but shouldn't he just sit for like a month? Just sit for a month, just be healthy from November fifteenth until the end of the year. If he can come back and Everson Griffin comes back at some point, it's not like your schedule is that tough between now and then. And do have a, you have a bye in the middle of that period? Just shut him down. No practice, nothing for a month. Yeah, and I think that what they'll look back at and regret was trying the pitch count idea against the Los Angeles Rams. It's like, okay, I mean, you're going to give him 15 snaps yeah. or something, and then he's going to aggravate it, and he's not going to be able to practice, and then he's going to get behind. And this is causing a problem, this week-to-week thing, because even John Filippo, he didn't necessarily want to go all in on the answer today, but when he was asked about how difficult it is to game plan around Delvin Cook for a Sunday game and then all of a sudden not have him to then try to transfer it over to Latavius Murray, a completely different back. It's not the easiest thing in the world. And you, I think, are better off going into a week saying we're just not going to play him. Even if he feels good, it's better to give him the two weeks. And when you're going up against a team that is so-so in the Jets, they're 3-3, three and three, but they're not a great team. And when they've faced good defenses, they've had a lot of trouble. And I would expect that they will against Mike Zimmer's defense. This is a time to do that to give him that break. And then if you could get him back against New Orleans, who he ripped up in his debut last year, that's a time to, to have it. Because if you're playing this game week in and week out, not only does it hurt to not have him or have him on a pitch count, but it also hurts your offensive coordinator and makes his life more difficult. Yeah, That's Matthew Collar. Speaking of pitch counts, he doesn't have one. His Vikings takes have no limits on 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. Because he loves football. There's no limit to the film I can grind. That's right. Everybody knows how much you love football. 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 Yes. Uh, we're going to wrap with Roycey when we come back in the beer show in about 20 minutes from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. All right, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. 
You know, Pat, my uh, my aunt Sandy in Santa Rosa, California, always says you get thirty days as part of your birthday season. So, what are you what are you <laughs> yeah. celebrating on day two? Every, 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 well, I, I tell you what, I uh, I almost lost my vision today. I went to one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life, Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, really? It's uh, supposed to be kind of a comedy, you know, killer, crazy gangster movie but it's awful jeff bridges was in it that's the only reason i went and now i'm worried about his career so it's unbelievable john ham right john ham's terrible he gets killed don't worry (laughs) (laughs) wait he gets gets killed right off the bat don't worry really dakota johnson's in there and there's all kinds of violence going on oh i didn't say uh Ever do you know tie her up to a post and you know do something like in those movies she made Fifty Shades or whatever? So <laughs> it was brutal. God, it's terrible. Man, have you seen anything really anything worthwhile so. lately? Go see it. Uh, no, I haven't gone to a movie. That's the first. Uh, the only reason I went is I was desperate. I hadn't seen one for a week, but uh, uh, I ran across something today though. She got her wife because of my wife. She showed it to me. It's too funny to fail. It's on Hulu. Who's got Hulu? Any of you guys got Hulu? Uh, Judd almost uh, certainly doesn't. Dawn might. I, I have no idea if I have it. <laughs> I have Hulu. It's well, not bad. Declan has it. Uh, the Dana Carvey show from 1996 that only ran eight episodes. Yeah. And I never watched it. It came and went. It was hilarious. But, but it was so distasteful to many, you know, to... to uh, America, twenty-two years ago, it was it was way edgier than Saturday Night Live, and it uh, it, it only lasted. But it's hilarious. They had Colbert writing for it, and all. Was that Fox, Pat? And, and, huh? Was that Fox or must, NBC? It must. No, I think it was NBC. Yeah, yeah I think it was NBC, and it didn't. And uh, they, they the censors went crazy, but they had some they had some funny stuff, man. I mentioned this earlier today, but uh, they had. Ted Brokow, uh, before he was going on vacation, they had a, a shtick where, you know, Reagan had died. So now they figured that Ted Brokow should be the guy to uh, to break the news to America, even if he was on vacation. So they're, they're going through all the living presidents and having Ted Brokow do a advance, uh, you know, Gerald Ford. Died at age eighty three today, former president. And then they had then they then they had to cover all the diseases he might have died from in these announcements. <laughs> and one of them was President Gerald former President Gerald Ford died today from an overdose of crack cocaine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so they had they had to have it in the you know, and uh, they had to have it so they could run it and <laughs> so broke out could uh, it was pretty damn funny. Anyway. <laughs> so what'd you think of the basketball game last night? They, they weren't by pounds had been able to stay on the floor. They might have looked a little better. They they looked okay. It was not not great, but it was you know, you can you can't get pounds for twenty one, twenty two minutes and, and beat anybody probably. Jimmy looked a little tired too though. That that not having a full training camp thing he might was, be an issue for a oh few yeah. games he for Jimmy. Good now. He wasn't he wasn't bad down the stretch, so I d I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure he's uh 
Well, they didn't say, hey, uh, we, we, we use the bench. We only use four uh, guys off the bench, but they got a lot of minutes. So uh, that's, uh, you know, we, the minute police can't get too upset. So. I mean, a- Anthony anyway. Tolliver was signed to shoot three-pointers. He reminded me of Mike Miller from 10 years ago. You bring him in yeah. to do one thing, and then he plays 20 minutes and doesn't do that one thing at any point. He shot one three-pointer last night. Took one yeah, shot in 20 minutes. And in the exhibition games, wasn't he throwing them up left and right? Yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, he was popping them up there. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, it was. They weren't terrible, but they, you know, San Antonio didn't have any of their point guards either. So yeah, Chris he, Hine he probably should have. He probably should have beaten them. Chris Hine wrote Patrick. The result wasn't a calamity, and that was good enough for now. Which is the state of your Timberwolves? If you can write that it wasn't a calamity and they didn't start a bench-clearing brawl among themselves, I think for right now we're actually happy about it. Well, I think the fact that they, you know, that after not trying in any of the exhibition games, it was, uh, you know, the best news was Wiggins played okay. That's seven rebounds. Some, although he was, you know, without Towns there getting any rebounds, they got Aldridge got, what, 18 or 19 or some damn thing yeah. rebounds. It was yeah, I mean, Aldridge isn't that kind of rebounder, but anyway. I've got an Astros-Red Sox question for you from last night from the Altuve. It was a home run. Okay, but wait, wait, wait. But here's my question. In a playoff game, how is what is going to prove to be the decisive angle that the replay people have to see? How do you have a long-haired security guard blocking that camera? <laughs> well, I don't know. You don't. I mean, how do you? Honest to God. What? I mean, how do you keep them out of there? But uh, well, no, it's to me, it's all nonsense. If a guy's jumping, interference is when somebody prevents you from making a catch that you were going to make. This is interference is not a guy jumping over the fence and having someone fan, you know, hit his glove. That's not interference. Interference is based on making not great catches in the history of the game. They're based on routine, uh, not routine, but, but close to routine catches. It's, uh, you, you can't, you know, if, if Betts had caught that ball, we would have said, man, that was a fantastic catch. But yeah. now, Fat Joe has to impose himself in the action because he knows better. He's the only man in America who would have called interference. The only person, living person in America who would have called interference on that just because he wants the attention. Not because he thinks he was right, just because he wants the attention. Yeah. I, I don't think he's a bad umpire when it comes to judgment. I think he's a bad umpire because his ego is enormous. And he says, what can I do if I make a certain call here? If I say the guy was off second base on the double play pivot here by four inches, then I can get everybody mad at me and everybody talking about me in America, and that's what counts. You know, to me, that's the way Joe umpires. That's why you need plexiglass. That's why you need plexiglass. I wonder what would have happened if Kirby Puckett Puckett jumped up in 1991 and there wasn't plexiglass there. Yeah, it's true. Hockey's got it right. Let's admit it. Hockey's got it right. (laughs) Would have had nothing to climb up. You know, he wouldn't have caught that ball. You <laughs> he, know, would've, he would have been up there all by himself. You know. So anyway, yeah. Uh, was, but here's the problem: it isn't the fact that they screwed up the call. It's the damn game lasted until midnight, and it, took, and it was nine innings. Four thirty-three, Pat. 
It's one thing to last nine innings. I mean, to go till midnight or one o'clock in the morning when you play thirteen innings, but nine innings. So I, I, I want to make a just a an announcement here on on behalf of the three of what the three of us have talked about on our shows and in the office about pace of play. And I've always said, what's the difference between three hours and three thirty? I mean, you're you're committed for three hours, so like, what's the yeah. difference? But even I have to say. This is absurd. In, in the World Series last year, there wasn't there like a five-hour game that went ten innings or something too. And yeah, yeah, there was. Come on, it's like what a yeah, yeah. They, you, you just well, first of all, they're replaying twelve plays a day. You know, I mean, it's uh, come on, let's let's go here. Why do you we know, need a replay the, system? The Ricey right too close rule. It's too close. We're not going to review it. Let's go. <laughs> Why do we need a replay system that has? Three fat umpires walk over to some weird, like, and then someone has to bring out some electronic backpack, and they all put airplane headphones on. If you watch Wimbledon or a tennis tournament, they just put it up on the screen quick, they make the call, and it's over, right? Yeah. I mean, why do we, it doesn't, shouldn't take a half hour every time there's a close call. No. Listen to me, well, I sound I so know. old right now. Yeah. <laughs> I sound like that. Did you see your old producer's tweet, by the way? Uh, no. Dave, no. He said he went to a sports bar last night to pick up a takeout order of food like at 8 o'clock at night. 30 TVs, no baseball game. Wow. Yeah, I buy that. Do these, yeah. do these people know how much trouble they're in? They got to do, they have to do something. They have to do something. And uh, if it's limiting the number of pitchers you can use, uh, you know, whatever whatever the heck it is, they have to do something. Go to a pitch clock first. There's no reason not to. Well, Ranford yeah, just needs to put it in. That's what you start with. Yeah. You, you start with that. But but it has to include when runners are on base, too. Sure. You can't just say, you just can't say, because the pitch clock is only going to be in effect if there's no runners on base, right? Am I, am I not... I, Am I mistaken? No, no. It, it would. It, you couldn't have it in effect with runners on base. I would think because then you'd just be able to time stolen bases, right? And see, you know who's the most underrated pitcher in baseball? John Lester, because he can't throw to first. We like that. No throws. Everybody should be like John Lester. Be paranoid about throwing at the first, and then nobody will throw at the first. <laughs> through. Oh, man. crazy, man. Uh, Pat, we'll uh, we'll catch up again tomorrow. See ya. All right. All right. Bye. It's Pat. Rapping with Royce. Did you just tell me that that you didn't care about the, the difference between three and four hours when you just? No, I said three and three and a half. Three and a half. Because we were complaining about well, games used All to right. be this and that. I was just going to say, keep but, in mind what a three-hour radio show feels like compared to three and a half <laughs> or four hours. Okay, there's a big difference. I'm a much happier man these days. <laughs> that's, uh, that's true. Oh, man. You can find the Brian Windhorst interview, which was full of great information and wolf stuff. In our on-demand content at 1500ESPN.com, the Mackie and Judd show page, or anywhere you would download or subscribe to your favorite podcasts, Apple Podcasts, the 1500ESPN mobile app. And we'll see you tomorrow for a little Write That Down action.